a beautiful day at the homestead. Hello, and welcome to Beyond the Tower, the Omni Homestead Resort's original podcast series. I'm your host, Jesse Bruton. Today, we're speaking to Julie Langen, Director and State Historic Preservation Officer, Virginia Department of Historic Resources, and Ed Pillsbury, Associate and Senior Architect with Three North, about the restoration of the historic Warm Springs pools. Julie, Ed, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Well, I'll lead off. I have been working in the field of historic preservation for over 30 years, which is very hard to believe. And my background is architectural history. I first visited the hotel and the pools when I was 15, and I've made many return visits. So they're near and dear to my heart. And I feel very strongly about their significance to the entire country. So I would encourage everybody when the bathhouses reopen to come and take the waters. Absolutely. And I'm Ed Pillsbury. I'm an architect with Three North. And we are a sort of mid-sized architecture firm in Richmond, Virginia. And we specialize in small, well, really any size, unique projects. And so when the pools project came up, we said, this is exactly the kind of unique, one-of-a-kind project that we can get involved in. And we jumped at the chance and we're lucky enough to be given the opportunity to work here. How exciting. So Julie, as Virginia's top historic resources executive, you're very familiar with the Warm Springs pools. Can you tell us a little bit about these historic structures? I think that this complex of historic spring resort buildings is one of a kind. It's nationally significant. Spring resorts used to exist all over. Most states had some, but they have disappeared from the landscape. And what makes Warm Springs really unique is that they are authentic to their period of construction. And the earliest building there was built in the 18th century. We then get a second building later on, followed by a little cottage, which was the last building added. But there isn't anywhere else in the entire country where you will find a spring resort with that complement of bathhouse buildings. So it's phenomenally important. And they're so authentic. And what's really exciting about the work that's proposed and will soon commence is that that authenticity is going to be preserved. Speaking of authenticity, my understanding is that they used to be referred to as the Jefferson Pools, but you're changing the name to a more historically accurate name now. Yes, and that is so appropriate. The term Jefferson Pools makes reference to the fact that Thomas Jefferson visited, as did many presidents. And it was a name that came into use fairly recently. It was never a historic name by which the pools were referred. Typically, over the centuries, they've been known as the Warm Spring Pools or the Warm Spring Bathhouses. And that's really the appropriate name. Ironically, Thomas Jefferson had a miserable experience at the pools. (laughs) So it doesn't make sense to me that we would refer to them as the Jefferson Pools. For listeners who haven't visited yet, can you describe the setting of the Warm Springs Pools? I understand that while the homestead is located in Hot Springs, the pools are located just up the road in the town of Warm Springs. That's right. And I would love to set the stage a bit. If someone were to sit down and look at a map of the area... They'll see names like Allegheny Springs, Warm Springs, Hot Springs. This was a part of the country with a concentration of thermal springs. 
And Warm Springs became known as Warm Springs because its temperature was just a few degrees less than the springs that are in Hot Springs. But the two are only separated by a couple of miles. They're just up the road from one another. And this was historically a destination for hundreds of years, people coming from considerable distance to come and take the waters. And they would have to stay a long time to make the trip worth their while because it would take them days, if not a week, to actually get here. So this is a part of the country where that's just part of the history and the tradition. And you'll see on a map all these different towns referred to with springs as part of their name. Warm Springs is a courthouse town, but not large like you might envision a courthouse town to be. It's a very small, quaint, historic district. And one of the most prominent landmarks in that district are the bathhouses themselves, visible right from the main street. You pass by them on your way to the hotel. If you're coming from Richmond, for example, you go right by them. And they're crude frame buildings that really haven't changed in their appearance in a couple hundred years. So I understand that in 2015, you were part of the resort's bathhouses advisory committee. Can you tell me a little bit about the purpose of that committee and some of the individuals involved? Certainly. The committee was put in place to act as an informal consulting group to the leadership of the hotel. And because there are many people who love the bathhouses, it was not hard to find experts willing to donate their time and expertise to providing some direction. And one of the first things that the group took on was to make a case for the importance of a historic structures report. And included in this group were individuals such as the former keeper of the National Register of Historic Places, Carol Scholl. The bathhouses are on both the National Register of Historic Places and the Virginia Landmarks Register. The historical architect from the University of Virginia, Jody Lehendro, who has built his career on working with very significant historic buildings. So there was a group of experts who could be a neutral third party. There's a lot of local interest in the pools, and a lot of people had their own opinions about what should happen. And so it seemed to make sense that the leadership here at the hotel have a group of people upon whom they could rely for accurate, impartial guidance. So can you tell us a little bit more about this historic structures report and what came from it? A historic structures report is really the logical first step in taking on a project of this type. It starts by an exhaustive investigation of historic documentation to learn what is known, what's in the record about a historic property, and then that is coupled with field investigation. So you actually go through the building and investigate its condition and its evolution Most buildings don't stay the same. They're built, but then over time they change. And so what the Historic Structures Report does is provide you a roadmap of how the building changes over time. And if you're going to take on a rehabilitation, it helps then inform the decisions that you make in how you approach that work. So, Ed, how exactly did 3 North become involved in this project? Well, 3 North has a pretty long history at Homestead. 
the previous renovation, which was 10, 12 years ago, Three North was involved in. And so we generally knew the property and were familiar with it. And so when Omni went looking for architects, we were one of the people that they talked to. And fortunately, we're lucky enough to be selected to do the project. I will say that once we got it and I got the historic structures report and dove in, it was a can of worms. This is a huge, beautiful, tangled history that was very difficult to unravel. Can you give us any examples of a couple of those worms in that can? So as Julie mentioned earlier, even the name of the property turned out to be in question. That usually you get a job and you say, I'm going to do this project, and it's the Jefferson Pools. And we sat down at the first meeting and realized that the first meeting was almost more to talk about what the project was called than what we should do about it. And so that was definitely a taste of what was to come. Having said that, there is so much good data and so much goodwill and commitment in the community and from the groups that while it's been an active discussion, it's been an enjoyable process because it it really has felt like everybody wants the best for the property. So can you tell us a little bit about your plans for the restoration? Absolutely. So When we started the project, again, we were confronted with these very complex, dilapidated buildings that had been added onto over time. And so we had to sort of get a handle on where they were then. So our first step was actually to do a 3D point cloud scan of the project. So we got a company to come up and laser scan the building. And that gave us a super accurate 3D model of what it looked like. And the fascinating thing was that the University of Virginia had done a similar scan five years earlier with the historic structures report, and we could overlay the two and see how the structure had changed over the recent past. And that gave us some really good clues as to where the building was failing and what we needed to do to fix it and improve it. One element of the baths that I'd love to learn a little bit more about is the spout bath feature. Can you share some about that experience? So the, the spout bath is a feature that exists in both the ladies' and gentlemen baths. And it's kind of crazy. It's this little stone vault that's built in underneath one of the dressing rooms. And you go and you climb down into it and sit on a stool. And then there's a sluice gate that connects to the main bath. And then you pull it up and it dumps gallons of water on you in a, a very intense flow. And it's this sort of super intense experience that's part of the bath that's pretty wild. Sounds like it's not for the faint of heart. It is absolutely not for the faint of heart. But if you're brave enough to climb down, it is 100% worth doing. Now, was that an original feature of the baths? No, it's really interesting that they added features onto these baths for years. And I, I think it was to draw in new people. And so they always wanted a new thing. So the spout baths in the gentleman's bath, oh, it was early 1800s when it came in or mid 1800s. And it was sort of a new feature that would get people to come over the mountain, soak and experience the springs. So I imagine many of our listeners haven't had the opportunity to visit the baths in person because they have been closed due to disrepair for the past few years. Can you share with us what the guest experience will be like once they have been restored and reopened? Absolutely. One of the key things that we're doing with this renovation is maintaining the traditions that are in place around the bathhouse. And as Julie mentioned, that authenticity of the structures and of the experience is so important. So those traditions have been in place really for more than 100 years, 120 years, where there's a reception house where you check in 
And everybody comes to the reception house and the men and women split off into two separate groups. And there's a gentleman's bath and a lady's bath. And then you go to each one and you're met by a bath attendant. And that is sort of such an important part where the bath attendant hands you the towel. And it's this sort of personal hospitality that has been part of the bath since, potentially since the Lewis family built the first ring in 1760. And then you go and you get a changing room. And so you change in the changing room and then finally step down into the pools. And the amazing thing about the pools is that they are enclosed, but still outside. And both the gentleman's bath and the ladies' bath are centered around these oculus openings to the sky. And so the wonderful thing is that you can float in the water and look up and see the sky, but still be enclosed in these historic wood structures. And it's kind of an incredible experience to see it. So how do you strike a balance between maintaining the integrity of the historical structure, but also providing updates for safety and using modern materials? Absolutely. That was one of the big challenges of the rehabilitation. If we need to put something back because it's failing, what do we put back and how do we decide what that is? And so obviously safety is a big deal. When these were built in the 19th century, safety was not the issue that it is today. So we have absolutely made some some nods to the guest experience, but it's still a very authentic, you float in the pools and the stairways are steep experience. The second part of that is to try and decide what should go back. So we set up some rules to follow. And the first one was that if there's existing building fabric there that is good, that we wouldn't remove it and put something back that we didn't need to. So even if it was put in in the 1980s, if it's strong and stable, then we will leave it. But if it is failing and we need to replace it, then we would pick a very specific time period and rebuild to match that time period. And what we settled on with some heavy input from DHR and Julie and also using the historic structures report was around 1925, that mid-1920s time period. And that was such a special period. It was right before the Warm Springs Hotel was demolished and all of the buildings were there and we have good documentation from them. So as we put things back, we put them back to look like they would look in 1925. And that that is sort of the guiding principle of how we approach the renovation. So how did the HSR, the Historic Structures Report, impact your overall process? There's a huge amount of technical information in it. The part of it that affected me the most were the stories that were baked in, particularly the stories about the bath attendants, and that there were these very specific families, you know, the Shepherd family, that have lived in Bath County for generations and that fathers, sons, daughters have all been the bath attendants there and taken care of these pools. And it's those sorts of things, those traditions that sort of live beyond the physical wood that's there. And so we're trying to build the framework so that those traditions can continue and that that's the sort of really special thing that we're doing. So I understand that the Historic Structures Report involved not just historical research, but some real forensic science, too. Can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. The report that was done by a number of people, but in particular Gibson Warsham, went into great detail about the members that were there. And one of the most interesting things that they found was that they tested the wood members for species and also for age and realized that some of the members in the gentleman's bath are considerably older than we expected them to be. 
And when you climb up on top of them, you can actually see Roman numerals carved in the top by the workers who assembled it. And that is such a clear clue that these members are very old. It's sort of amazing that they survived given the harsh environment with the steam and the warm air. And if I may, I would just like to add that Gibson Warsham, who did the majority of the research for the HSR and then actually wrote most of the final report, was perfectly suited to this task. Not only is he a highly respected historic architect and architectural historian, but what a lot of people don't realize is that early in his career, he lived at a spring resort here in Virginia. He owned it a spring resort in Montgomery County. And so he came to this assignment with a passion and an understanding about the history of spring resort destinations. So I think we couldn't have found anyone more perfect. Julie, I understand that the resort will be applying for historic tax credits for this work. What exactly does that mean? Well, the hotel has already applied and has received preliminary approval for the tax credits. And most people probably aren't familiar with historic tax credits, but in Virginia, we have both a state historic tax credit and then there's a federal historic tax credit. And because we have both of those, most projects in Virginia utilize both because you can use them in tandem. And what they do is they provide a property owner a tax credit in return for doing work to historic structures and doing that work appropriately. So in the case of the state credit, you get a 25% tax credit. And with the federal, you can earn a 20% tax credit. And I wouldn't want to speak for Omni, but I know from all of the other property owners who take advantage of this program that for many, it's the deciding factor and whether or not they're going to take on the renovation of a historic building. So the way I look at it is that if people are concerned about the methods and the way the work is being approached and is it going to be done the right way, this is like an insurance policy because in order to qualify for the credits, my office, the Department of Historic Resources, reviews in detail the entire scope of work. And we can give preliminary approval before work starts, but then we follow up at the end and make sure that the work was done the way it had been proposed. So it's a check and balance, and it's a good way to ensure that the work is done appropriately because there are standards that must be met. There are national standards that people use throughout the country that are called the Secretary of the Interior Standards for Rehabilitation. And they will guide then the planning process to ensure a favorable outcome. That's great. That sounds like such a powerful tool to encourage people to preserve historic structures for all of us to enjoy in the future. This program has transformed Virginia. And I can say with certainty that Virginia has probably the best state tax credit program in the country. So that means the federal program gets used more here than in a lot of places, because as I said, you can use both. So it, it is the deciding factor for many people. So as locals, do you have any sort of advice to our listeners? Specifically, if a guest had only one day to spend here at the homestead, what is the one thing you say you cannot, cannot miss? Well, that's a really great question, and I know how I would answer it. If I had one day at the homestead, 
and the bathhouses had reopened, I would take a bath without question. And I think that what most people may not understand or have given much thought to is that they do have health benefits, not in the way that maybe the Native Americans thought that they did when they first visited or people in the 18th and 19th century. When they visited, they thought that the chemical properties, the mineral content of the water could heal a long list of ailments. I think we now know that that's not really the case, but speaking from experience, You take the waters and your stress just goes away. We know and understand that that is good for our health. I also know that you get out of the water and your skin is incredibly soft. Your hair is soft. So the mineral content does also have some benefit. So I would say once the pool's open, that's a must do. Otherwise, I would stay on the property and I wouldn't miss the authentic traditional donuts at breakfast. I wouldn't miss tea in the Great Hall. I'm very food focused, but I would stay right on the property because there's so much to experience and explore. Soaking in waters and eating, you and I are cut from the same cloth. (laughs) Ed, what about you? What's your cannot miss recommendation? I think that the property is what is so special about this. And I would absolutely sit on the rocking chairs on the front porch and have a drink and watch the mountains. And that is the right thing to do. So on that same note, what's your favorite secret about the homestead? Something that people tend to realize once they're here, but isn't something that you could possibly learn just reading a brochure or a website. I can think of several things. And perhaps they are addressed on the website, but I don't know that everybody realizes that the geographic location of Hot Springs means that depending on where you're coming from, it's going to be a few degrees cooler and the humidity is going to be a lot less, which is wonderful, especially in the summer. So that's one thing that I think not everybody might expect. I really appreciate and value the fact that there are so many different kinds of rooms. I've stayed in many rooms, and every one of them is different and has its own personality. So I love that about the homestead. The elevators are a little tricky because of the way the floors are numbered. There's no 13 because, of course, that's unlucky. But for the second floor, the elevator says 12. So you're a little disoriented by that. So that's something that guests would discover. And then back to those donuts. They are a tradition. And I know that people start making them before guests even think about getting up in the morning. And they are so wonderful, sugar and cinnamon covered or maple frosted. And I've had the benefit of actually seeing the historic donut making machine. And they still use the historic donut making machine. So that's something to discover as well. I'm not sure if the microphone picked up. My stomach literally growled as you were describing (laughs) that. Ed, what about you? Oh, for me, I'm always amazed at just how vast and sprawling the hotel is. And part of the fun is just exploring the different wings and seeing how many different time periods and nooks and crannies there are. And so I feel like I could spend a pretty satisfying day just wandering the interior hallways of this hotel. I completely agree. Sometimes when I've been here and I go home and people will say, well, what did you do? And my answer is that I just experienced the hotel. I didn't do much of anything, and I was perfectly content. 
Well, that's all the time that we have for now. Julie, Ed, thank you so much for being our guest today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Learn more about Hidden Treasures at the Homestead by listening to our entire podcast series available at theomnihomestead.com slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and many other podcast apps, or you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For exclusive offers on the Omni Homestead and other Omni hotels and resorts, sign up for Select Guest. The program rewards members with a simple way to earn free nights and access to exclusive offers. Plus, returning members enjoy perks like complimentary daily beverage and more. Beyond the Tower is a production of the Omni Homestead Resort in Hot Springs, Virginia. The title music, Welcome to My Homestead, is written and performed by David Hill. Our executive producer is Lynn Swan, our producer is John Kendall Royston, and your host is me, Jesse Bruton. Many thanks to all of our talented guests. For information about how to book your next stay, visit theomnihomestead.com. Thank you.